On this, our final episode of the UAC podcast, Nikki and Pat are going to take you through three resources that you and your family might want to explore as you get ready and you gear up for the summer holidays. The first comes from The the Guardian. It is an article entitled, You May Be Settling for an Imperfect Partner, But Life is Full of Compromise. The second is courtesy of The New York Times. It's an article entitled Reflection on Dropping Ambition. And our third and final resource is an episode of Pink Cast, a video series produced by Daniel Pink. Of course, we will include all three of those links in our show notes for this episode. Enjoy. Hi, my name is Pat. Hi, and my name is Nikki. And And we we are are the UAC at UWC. isn't a route some people choose it's a fate none of us can avoid of all the things you'd like to do with your life you're going to be putting something off most things actually so the only remaining question is which ones okay so with that whole idea of compromise like you cannot avoid it you're going to just have to do it at some point like I feel like that is probably an important lesson for students getting up closer to that uni search process as well as for their parents so what are some compromises that you think parents or students they just need to start thinking about in terms of the university search process like i know that we've talked a lot about there is no perfect school you cannot have it all that's also just the reality of life so what are some of the compromises that have come up just in your consultation with kids and parents that you think someone who is brand new fresh to the process just needs to be aware of I think we can flip this actually because when we're talking about compromise it makes it sound negative but actually you know when we're thinking about the idea of um, of all things you'd like to do with your life you're going to be putting something off most things actually so the only remaining question is which ones but that's because you want to have something that you feel invested in, excited about. So there's something as a product of that that makes you really happy and fulfilled. So I, I, so compromise is the right word, but I guess it's us letting go of the negative connotations of that. It's, it's by compromise, we're not um, settling for less. We're actually allowing ourselves to have more of the thing that is going to make us happy. I think the worry is that with grade nine, say, they, they kind of don't know that. So it's um, trying to help them navigate that, thinking about what they're good at and what they like doing, I guess, uh, so that they can develop those, those strengths in the areas that they're excited about. I have never agreed with you more than right much. now, Thank my gosh. And it's in a way, quite tense in arms a lot. <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. I think when we talk to ninth graders and tenth graders, they come in with a preset list of universities that they've heard of, famous universities that in many ways are not realistic for who they are, um, and they believe that those are the only universities that will lead to success. And so what our role is as university advisors is to create a sense that uh, universities beyond those famous universities will provide them with amazing pathways 
success beyond belief, um, and to try to convince them that they are not compromising if they are going to a school that they've never heard of. So I think I totally agree with Nikki that if we take the negative connotations out of compromise, I think that's that leads to happiness in this process. And interestingly, if we talk about, because obviously by the time they get to that university, they would have heard of it and they would have done a lot of research into it. But the ones that they start off with that maybe they have heard of, and that's careers too, Yeah, is that understanding that there's, there's absolutely compromise there too. Just because you've heard of it doesn't mean to say, it's the right thing for right. you, the best thing for you, or even what you ultimately want. So um, it's it's about being honest with yourself about what you want in your life. We've just had the FIBs in here, the Foundation IB students, because they've come back from their one week internship that they do as part of the Foundation IB program. And it's been so interesting listening to them and it's absolutely this conversation. They're figuring out what they no longer want to compromise on. So one student is saying that, you know, she understands that lots of work takes place in offices, but she came out of her experience thinking, you know, do I really want to work in an office though? Um, and she came to this understanding that what's important to her is the culture in that office and that whatever she's doing in it is going to be really worthwhile. And she said, if I honestly feel like if I had the means, I would rather do voluntary work than work doing something that I found meaningless. Um, how profound Absolutely. for a 16-year-old um, student. So, um, yeah, there, there's things to figure out, and sometimes we can't tell students what those things are. They need to kind of do that from within. I think the other thing is, is that as students move into their university years, um, they might be thinking, oh, I should be at another university. And I think what happens is they do not take advantage of the opportunities at their current university because they are always wondering what if, and so they are not embracing. So they are constantly living in a world of, I should have, or you know, I should be over there, or I should be at another. And so sometimes we get students who have not embraced the opportunities at their university, and by December or January, they're requesting to transfer to another university without really opening their mind up to what they have in front of them. So with that, I'm wondering, you know, what you're talking about, I think is, and you said it outright, just this idea of like, be a little more honest with yourself, mm -hmm. which is incredibly hard for an adult, let alone a teenager. Are there any questions that you find yourself asking students in the work that you do that helps them just kind of re reframe or pivot and be a little bit more honest with themselves in terms of like, what is really important or how might I find out what, again, I shouldn't compromise on versus like, what's not super important? I think the why question, we, that's an easy question to ask and it often stumps um, students. And sometimes, yes, yeah, definitely students, you know, why, well, why do you want that? Um, and they can go to an easy answer, well, I like it or it's good. Um, so you don't really need to push that hard on that why question when they realize they've really not got a great answer to it. Um, and that, that in itself, some kind of reflection okay well what is it about this place and so you can you can keep digging with that I think I think the thing about you can say to them theoretically about life and about you know what kind how do you want your life shaped what do you want in it um, 
you know, what do you want your days to look like and your relationships to look like and the culture surrounding you to look like? They're big and, and that's hard. But you can, I think the other thing that they need to think about is their present. They're so busy thinking about the future and like what's next and where is all this going. Well, A, that's kind of paralyzing when you get to that future and then you can end up with all those should-haves and would-haves mm -hmm. because you think, oh, I can't really think about this now I'm here. I'm not so keen on it. But also that there's plenty of clues in their life now about what they think they like, what they're good at, you know, who mm -hmm. they like being with. Um, what changes they've already undergone in terms of their thinking about themselves. So that kind of, where are you at now with all of that thinking and how have you come to know that about yourself can be applied to their future. Yeah, and I think digging deep into the characteristics of the school they might be interested in. I mean, we have the experience where we can say to students, oh, I had a student who is a, who attended the school you're interested in and they found that they were in a class of 800 students. Is that something that would suit you? Or in an urban campus, uh, in the first year you might be living on campus, but then the following years you might have to get an apartment farther away because of cost and you might be commuting in an hour to an hour and a half to that university. Is that something that you would like to do? And these are some of the things that students I don't think think about when they are in 11th grade when they're really kind of hitting the surface points of the university but they're not delving deep into what life will be like on that campus. I think it is about just being prepared to recalibrate that. It's not about collecting titles, labels, accolades. This is about qualities, it's about um, feeling worth, it's about contribution and figuring out how you're gonna do that. And that's not easily labeled or compartmentalized and then you know, discussed uh, you know, in the taxi queue or at the dinner table if you're trying to say like what success. It's almost like trying to be very open-minded, I think, about what success is. Very open-minded. And then also allowing your child, and we have children too, Yeah. it's about allowing your child to try and figure that out and having some faith in in their the, their journey, their, the way they're trying to navigate that and, and listening to them, I guess, while they're trying to navigate that and not having these preconceived ideas of what success is. So I guess an extreme of that would be, even once they've left, you know, you need to take this class, you need to do this combination of things, you need to be doing this activity, you need to be trying for that internship, you need to be um, making friends with these types of people. You know, there's, there's a letting go, isn't there, while mm -hmm. they try and figure out those things, because if, they can't do it without us, they're not, they're, you know, we're not doing a good job, I guess. Yeah, and I think that as we go through parenthood, we have certain expectations of our kids that are just absolutely natural, and we have to understand that sometimes those expectations will not be met, but we don't want to instill in our kids that if they're not meeting those expectations, they're failures. Um, 
I've worked with students in the past before one student comes to mind where when he was in high school he was getting in tons of trouble and I remember talking to his dad and his dad saying you know what in the long run he's gonna be fine he's gonna be fine and as a 30 year old 35 year old he will be a contributing member of society and I remember that resonating with me and I think about that almost every day in terms of my relationship with my children and uh, how they are doing um, so I think that, and I mean, I talk to my parents now, uh, and they say, we will always worry about you. Uh, even if you are a grown person and you're ultimately successful, there will always be worry about your children. So um, I think that in terms of ambition fading, I'm not sure about that. Uh, one of the things that is interesting as I hear that is, um, Robbie Jeffress, our colleague, puts out a survey called a Wise Old Dragon. And the Wise Old Dragon is a survey to our alum. And many of, many of our alum write back and say, I was so worried about the brand or the fame of the university I was going to go to. And now as I'm in third and fourth year university or graduated, it's not really a big deal. It doesn't really matter. And that was all overblown. So. Um, yes, I think that when parents are in the thick of the university admission process and watching their children graduate, they are concerned about the ranking and the reputation of the school their kids are going to go to. But in the long run, and as the article pointed out, at the end of the day, you just want your child to be happy and successful, and that's it. Don't you think though as well, it's when it says one of the pleasures of growing older is the shedding of ambition, there's also, there's also this idea, I, I've felt it anyway, where my students and my own children have just surprised me with what they're capable of. Yeah. And if we are too over-managing in the way we support our students, and in, you know, I guess the way we bring up our children, we rob ourselves of that surprise. Yeah. When we say, you know, you figure that out, you go and do it, come back to me, right? then they, they often are so much more capable yeah. than perhaps we would intuitively give them credit for in our worry in making sure they're supported and yeah. scaffolded. I'm wondering, there's a, a bit in the article where his daughter calls him to say, I've gotten, in, I've been accepted to Yale, but I need to think about it. And he kind of responds and says, you need to think about it. Are you crazy? Like, of course, that's the one that you should pick. And I'm wondering how common or how uncommon it is that child and parent have the same school in mind or have that same definition of success. Do you think that's more common or less common that there is kind of that same pagedness? I think it's relatively common that students and parents think they have the same measure of success. I would say that that they're, people are often in agreement at the beginning, but these are different generations and different experiences, and once the research kicks in a bit more, then maybe those paths start to diverge a right. little bit. Um, for all the right reasons, really. So I think that, yeah, the conversations have been happening and um, young people maybe haven't been asking the questions that they should, and so it's easier to agree and it all sounds right and lots of people agree, um, for example, with the Yale idea. 
um, but it doesn't take too much digging, I think, for things to change. So what might be some of the short-term experiments that high school students are taking on that kind of build in that practice of, let me just trial this for a little bit? I like this for a couple of reasons, actually. I feel that, that, that lots of us are guilty of living in the future rather than the present, and I think this short-term thinking makes us live in the present. Um, in that old cliche, before you know it, you're retiring, you don't watch out. So, and this is you're so true. I mean, our students, how often do they come back and think, I didn't appreciate being at school and I love it and it's so lovely to come back and I just, you know, was wishing it away when I was here. And that trend can continue if you don't root yourself in what's happening now. So, and then the other thing that I see, I think you see, Pat, is mm -hmm. this idea of what should I be doing in order to prepare myself. Um, and, and if you can adopt this short-term experiment thing, it kind of removes that question and you can kind of be a bit more intuitive about it. You can think about what you like, what you're good at, uh, what might be a success, an idea that you kind of want to play around with, not just an idea in terms of like I want to build a program, but maybe an idea about yourself. Am I? Am I really the type of person that is concerned about sustainability so much that I want to do something with it? Well, I'm going to try it out and see if I am as interested in that as I thought I was. Am I really as practical and as creative as I think I might be? I'm going to just try that out. And it's okay to have no's to some of those questions while you're navigating that. Um, so it's a great way, I think, to kind of get to that authenticity that we're all looking for in life, like what do you what do you want? It also allows you, don't mind if I take over to you? Not at all. <laughs> I think it also allows you to be responsive in life. So perhaps this is the safety net that stops us ending up with a life where you think, how the heck did I get here? I'm bored, I'm not satisfied, I feel stuck in a rut. If you have uh, the presence of mind to be reflective enough in the present, you feel much more conscious about where you are, what you're doing and what you're moving towards. So maybe it avoids that kind of dismal golden handcuffs, they call it, don't they? Where you're kind of successful on some levels, but really not fulfilled. Yeah, I also think that there's a capacity here for less stress and anxiety because we work, and Nikki would agree with this, we work with students who do not know what they want to do, um, and they're just kind of figuring it out. Um, and there's stress in there because they think, oh, all my friends know what they want to do, therefore I should know what I want to do. And then on the other side of the extreme, you have students who, since they were in second grade, they knew they were going to be a insert job here. So I think this, concept of zigzagging and establishing short-term goals allows people to not know what they want to do, feel good about it, and kind of figure things out as they go along. Because as I say to students, in many ways we're trying to predict the future for you. And it's very difficult for us and for you when you're in 11th grade to really predict what you will want as a 20 or 21 year old. And so if we have short term goals where students are authentically taking stock of, you know, establishing goals, achieving their goals, and then creating new goals, I think it kind of takes a lot of the stress and anxiety away. Um, there's a, 
one of the um, directors of admission at UBC, uh, one year, took a full year, and each month he established one goal per month. So one, one month it was learning how to play the ukulele, another month it was running a marathon, the next month it was, you know, trying to do 100 push-ups, uh, you know, and so that kept it very flexible, it kept it light, it kept it fun because there was a diversity in the goals that he was establishing. So I think the, the zigzagging in the goals in short term is a wonderful way to kind of keep things fresh and new and exciting. It's so interesting actually thinking about it because when you're talking about that, when you use the term zigzagging and when, when Daniel Pink used it, it, and you, it makes you think that, oh, this isn't gonna be substantial, it's gonna right. be flighty, it's yeah. gonna be thoughtless. But actually, it's the absolute opposite, isn't it? Yeah. It's the absolute opposite. And I love—I just love that framing too of experiment. Like, just give it a shot. Is yeah. you know, no no high stakes with whether or not it fails or succeeds. So, yeah. final question. Then I'm wondering, we're coming into the summer holiday. Do either of you have a short-term experiment that you are thinking that you would like to take on for the next seven weeks? I don't know how long you have. Anyway, whatever. Like a long experiment. Six? <laughs> it doesn't have to be. So maybe it's just a one week. A very short, short-term experiment. Anything that you're thinking you'd like to take on in your, your weeks away? Well, something we've been doing in our office is we've stuck a calendar up on the wall and we are trying to, we're like, we try to exercise more. Mm. And I'm using that in a really general sense because some of us exercise more anyway. And some of us don't. <laughs> Me. <laughs> so... Well, this calendar up on our wall, and so my thing will be like to, and, and every day we exercise, we can call whatever we want exercise, we make a cross or we put our initials on the calendar. So, I think mine will be there's things like you know, a hundred squats in a hundred days, I might do 50 and 50, I don't know, things like that. I think I, I need to do something around exercise that I'm going to do. So, that's redefining myself as an exerciser, someone that doesn't do that much. Yeah, and mine is similar. After 12 months in Singapore, running in the heat of, and humidity of Singapore, I look forward to seven weeks of running in the cool temperatures of Canada. So um, I would like to get um, so that I'm running, you know, up to 25K every two weeks uh, by the end of the summer. And that's part one. Part two is I would like to add a little more vegetarian cooking into my uh, repertoire. So those are my two. Great. Yeah. So you mentioned having the calendar as kind of a nice visual reminder. Yeah. So do the two of you have any kind of, ooh, this might actually help support me in that goal? Like, uh, is your team coming back and going to have backdated the calendar or? We actually do that. We've got on our agenda, I think this is great, on our agenda, we've um, got it as a fixed thing at the top. We have one meeting a week um, just to talk about how we're getting on with those type of goals. Yeah. So yeah, it's formalized, which it puts a little pressure on to make sure you're thinking about it, but it actually was a bit of a motivator, yeah. I think. It keeps you accountable. There's, there's no shame. There's no, no shame. No one's mocked me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. So listeners, if you have any vegetarian recipes for Pat to try out over the summer, please do leave us a comment. Or if you have uh, ways to make exercise more enjoyable for Nikki, please leave us a comment with that. It's our last episode of the year. Thank you so much to Nikki and Pat for having these conversations with us. And we wish everyone a happy summer. Thank you. Thank you. Happy long break, everyone.